2: Welcome to the Simply Vegan podcast with me Holly Johnson and my co-host Gabriella Clark. Each week we discuss the latest vegan news, taste test new products and chat to some of the leading names in veganism. This week's episode of the Simply Vegan podcast is brought to you by Alpro My Cupper, a plant-based alternative formulated specifically for use in tea. El Pro My Cupper ticks all the boxes when it comes to colour, texture and flavour. That tannin tartness you find when mixing plant-based with tea? Tackled. Worried about getting your brew just the colour you like it? Worry no more and we promise we won't judge. And the taste? We'll let you be the judge. We know you'll love it. Alpro My cuppa, is available in the Chillers at Sainsbury's, Waitrose, and Morrison's. Thank you to Alpro and My Cupper. So, welcome to our last podcast episode of Veganuary 2021. Um, any new listeners, anyone who's trying veganism for the first time, we hope you've really enjoyed listening to the show this month. We hope you've really enjoyed Veganuary and trying new dishes and um, vegan and plant-based food we really hope you'll stay with us for the rest of your vegan journey for more info don't forget to visit veganfoodandliving.com so we thought we'd kick off today's episode with some reviews Um, we've been tasting some very delicious uh, food this month haven't we I have to say
1: potentially my favorite week for being a podcast host really Some delicious treats arrived this week very excited to discuss them
2: so I'm guessing those delicious treats were in the form of vegan chocolate <laughs> <laughs> you guessed correctly uh, so we yeah we each had a box of um, love raw wafers and sort of uh, cups Sort of buttercups, different flavours, almond, peanuts, um, yeah, all kinds of different flavours. Um, what did you think? This I cannot tell you how delighted I was to come home
1: and find this box on my doorstep. <laughs> I thought some weird magic had played out because I had spent the last couple of weeks seeing so many reviews about the love raw cream filled wafers on instagram and different vegan pages and had been on a bit of a one-woman hunt to find them within the confines of where i'm able to shop at the moment given (laughs) the current situation and hadn't had no such luck um and was just very confused it was as if the universe had gifted me this box and i have to say I mean the whole box was delicious but the Love Raw wafers surpassed my expectations beyond what I could have imagined I don't think I could give possibly give a better review than oh they were just incredible
2: (laughs) so yeah they are really really good aren't they Um, everyone's dubbed them the vegan buenos Um, they're creamy they are just they just don't taste and I hate to say this but they don't taste vegan and they don't taste of dairy either they just taste yeah just amazing (laughs) they
1: I on the side of the box they were delivered in I noticed Love Raw's kind of brand strapline slogan was chocolate first vegan second which I loved and they definitely delivered on that it wasn't about kind of your plant-based compromise or your alternative that maybe isn't quite as good. It was about making this really delicious chocolate bar that just so happened to be vegan. Yeah. It was light, creamy, really chocolatey. I mean, I could I could have eaten probably at least five in one setting, if not more. <laughs>
2: yeah, they're really Moorish. If you go to their website, um Gabriella and listeners, um, you can order big boxes of them um, and also find out, you know, find a stockist near you because I, I don't think they're widely available. But I think as people catch on to how good they are, then hopefully more people will be stocking them. So, I mean, don't think I've not already done that, Holly, I can <laughs> that you can buy
1: direct from their website. I think Holland and Barrett also do a big box delivery and you can get them via the vegan kind supermarket. They were three that that stood out to me because yes, I have considered buying a box of 12.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fantastic. We can't get a better review than that, can you?
1: So delicious. And I think it was only last week that I was referencing some good vegan chocolate that I've had. And this really blew it out of the water. And even the other bits that were included the wafers were definitely a standout product but the um nut butter filled c- little cups really delicious snack there were some chocolate bars different flavors there was a salted caramel one and just the, a normal yeah. milk-ish chocolate but um yeah love the love the company love the ethos love the branding love the idea that it's really about delivering a delicious chocolate bar first and foremost and then one amazing thing that it's also plant-based
2: yeah brilliant so the other um the other things that we reviewed this week were the all plants um well the all plants range so I really love the all plants brands um it's all all the products come in sustainable packaging I think I I met the guys or saw them talk at one of the um vegan festivals um perhaps a couple of years ago and they're really lovely guys I think they're brothers um so yeah really nice brand and it's basically a frozen ready meal delivery but it's kind of cooked by chefs so it's not just sort of your mass-produced you know um spag bol or whatever thrown in a um thrown in a box and frozen it's kind of food that's cooked with care really good fresh ingredients um which ones did you try
1: so i had uh the lasagna yeah a risotto and the green goddess bowl um as well as some dump uh, gyoza dumpling noodles as well um so yeah real good range range of things that I tried actually
2: yeah I've I've tried the green goddess bowl um some really unusual flavors in some of them that's what I liked um so that it I think that one includes a is it pea and mint mash yes it did yeah and some like green falafels and broccoli and that was really nice felt really healthy Um, and yeah, just really unusual. Like I don't use mint in cooking a lot. So, and you wouldn't think to mash peas, would you? Um, so that, yeah, that was like a really nice change sort of mixed up our, our meals. Um, obviously if you, you know, if you're on your own as well, or you're the only vegan in a house, in the household, it's a brilliant option. As we've said before, with, um, with the ready meals, It's, it's great to sort of have in the freezer. Um, the other one I tried was the I think it was the Moroccan stew it was like couscous um, and it had like douka, so it's like the Moroccan spices which had I think they've got like hazelnuts or something in so it gave it a little bit of crunch that was lovely just lovely sort of warming warming meal did you like yours I really did actually
1: and I found that from a vegan um let's say ready meal perspective they I was really pleasantly surprised and impressed with how healthy they were often when you're buying say like a shop bought vegan lasagna to to whack in the oven and heat for dinner um whilst it's vegan it's definitely not necessarily any better for you um really high calorie content saturated fat content things like that but um the all plants lasagna was really low in calories i think and don't quote me on this that there was only about 300 and something calories in the entire uh portion that's good which yeah compared to some of the supermarket owned versions which are six seven hundred eight hundred calories um, was really impressive and it was still the same portion size really filling but packed full of veg yeah. huge um, slices of courgette and we had an aubergine parmigiana that was really fresh and delicious so I think um, even though you're storing them in the freezer and then whacking them in the oven you're for me not compromising on all that goodness all that freshness yeah I And mean, getting a good amount of veg in your meal as well.
2: Yeah really like them and yeah I love the brand like I said so yeah they're definitely worth um, worth a try I think I mean they're not particularly cheap like a lot of vegan food but I think they're not kind of expensive for the sake of being expensive they are a little bit more expensive because it is good quality you know ingredients that you're getting.
1: Definitely and we had them um, in the week when you know you've got lots of things going on and you don't have time to prepare a proper meal for lunch and you're all you know maybe a bit tired of the same sort of things sandwiches salads to have to be able to pop something like the green goddess bowl in the oven or the microwave get it done and,
2: and enjoy it and knowing it's really healthy love them Yeah. And you can choose exactly what you get in the box. So um, there's a nice, nice selection to choose from. So, yeah, go and have a look at the All Plants website and um, give it a try. Definitely.
1: I'd really recommend. And one other thing I just wanted to say that I was impressed by was the communication from the company after you'd ordered just in terms of when your order was arriving what time how it was and then the feedback afterwards so really encouraging you to give your feedback share some ideas and um, I believe they have a Facebook page called all plants insiders where they're really keen for you to share recipe ideas or tweaks or feedback so I liked that it was a, a real conversation brand as well
2: yeah yeah Oh lovely so okay well let's move on to a little bit of news so um, some research that's been done by plant-based frozen food brand Strong Roots who I actually love we buy their I think they're called spinach bites have you ever tried them they we find you find them in Tesco's and I think I saw them in the co-op as well in the frozen section Um, so they do different ones and they're kind of don't know how you describe them little tiny kind of I suppose a bit like falafels but they're not because Mm. they're not dry yeah they're just kind of like healthy little little bite things that you sort of um put in the oven they do kind of like uh, sweet potato and carrot fries and things like that um but the research they've done has found um that 6.5 million people or one in four brits from lower income households consider themselves to be living in veg poverty Um, the worst area for this is london Um, nearly a quarter of those living in veg poverty has have sought advice from a health professional or lost sleep through worry and a third of parents go without fruit and veg to allow their children to eat them So, you know, we're in 2021. This is shocking. Really shocking. So, yeah, we, um, I've actually got back to them and I'm hoping to get the founders of Strong Roots onto the show, perhaps in the next few weeks. Um, So it'd be great to hear more about their campaign and, you know, what can we do about it? You know, fruit and veg is cheaper if you buy it frozen. Um, But obviously, yeah, fresh fruit, especially, is, you know can be pricey can't it
1: I know and I think like you say it's shocking to be in 2021 and for such staggering figures to come out that show that people don't have the access or the the means to be able to to fully feed themselves and their families a a balanced nutritious diet so it's really shocking and um yeah it was really uh upset to read this research actually and you think you know it's it's such a basic right to be able to have that and um the like you say would be really interested to understand ways in which people can get involved to to bridge that gap and make sure that families aren't going without Mm. um one of the stats that really stood out to me in the uh study that I was reading was that the estimated cost to the NHS each year for malnutrition hospital admissions is estimated to be 12.6 billion wow just from uh hospital admissions due to malnutrition so you know huge huge and it kind of for me goes hand in hand with lots of the conversation that's been in the news in recent weeks around uh the school meals and you know the types of food that have been given to families and children um which is just completely a not enough food and be really lacking nutrition and any fresh real fresh fruit and vegetables um and we've seen lots of that in the last few weeks in the news so love to be able to get them on the podcast and hear more for sure
2: yeah I spoke to Juliet Galatly from Viva and they ran a campaign for you know getting better uh, food within schools and and vegan options um and also I think it was two episodes ago I spoke to Shireen Dr Shireen Kasam um who campaigns to she's founder of plant-based health professionals and um part of what she does is you know trying to get to raise awareness of things like nutrition within the health service so yeah there's uh there's lots of changes that need to happen I think and you know I, I feel like there's there's a lot of um yeah I think there's a lot of momentum behind this now you know everyone's kind of uh waking up to the fact that nutrition is so important we all need to be eating more fruit and veg people on low incomes need to have access to more fruit and veg and this will have a ripple effect with our the health of our society
1: certainly and i think you know reading through the study with things like brexit it's becoming more of a concern about the affordability and access of accessibility of fresh fruit and veg or Mm. fresh or frozen and and um I think as well it gave me a real insight into you know those who rely on food banks for food for their families. When I am thinking about popping something in the food bank at the end of my supermarket gen, supermarket shop, generally it's something like a packet of pasta or tin tomatoes or you know things that you immediately think are non-perishable will last for a long time but not always thinking about that nutritional value and it's something you so take for granted if you're lucky enough and well privileged enough I suppose to be able to every week go and buy fresh fruit fresh vegetables and cook and feed yourself and your family a nutritious diet yeah lots to think about
2: yeah Well, thanks, Gabriella. I think, yeah, lots to think about there. And hopefully we'll hear from um, from the founders of Strong Roots over the next few weeks. So, yeah, if you're listening, definitely check back soon. Obviously, if you like listening to the Simply Vegan podcast, which we really hope that you do, um, you know, don't forget to uh, share it with your friends. Head over to Instagram and follow us. You can follow us at um, Simply Vegan Podcast and Vegan Food and Living. You can also become a member of Vegan Food and Living for the small price of £9.75 every three months, which is 35% off the cover price. You can become a member of Vegan Food and Living, get the gorgeous magazine delivered to your door every month with 75 delicious recipes, plus tons of other benefits, such as free access to our digital back issues, starting from issue one, discounts off with our friends at Bloombox Club and Cooks & Co., exclusive videos and loads more exclusive treats just go to shop.veganfeedandliving.com and enter vfl pod and get your exclusive 35 percent discount that's vfl pod and join us today we'd love to have you with us next i'll be speaking to tim thorpe from the vegan society about transitioning to plant-based agriculture hi tim thank you for joining us today on the simply vegan podcast so you are campaigns and policy officer at the vegan society um what does that job involve
3: um so we uh i'm my, myself and one other campaigns and policy officer um, work on campaigns and policy issues for the vegan society so um that means public facing campaigns encouraging people to uh, try veganism and and also um, direct lobbying of policymakers um, and other organisations. So um, it's about kind of pursuing a, uh, a vegan policy agenda, making it easier for people to to be vegan and to stay vegan.
2: Okay. So, what's your background
3: then? So, I focus on environmental issues for the vegan society, um, and that's my background. So, I was always interested in environmental issues growing up. Um, I think since learning about climate change at school, it always fascinated me um, and worried me as well. Um, and I ended up studying environmental science and doing a master's that looked into um, some of the social and, and political aspects of environmental issues as well. Um, so, yeah, I then worked in environmental management and conservation for about five years and um, before joining the Vegan Society's um, campaigns policy and research team uh, back in 2019. So um, I I had been vegan for a number of years before I joined the team um, and I initially made that decision after gaining an understanding of the environmental impact of of animal farming Um, but along the way I also came to a realisation about animal rights and about the the ethical responsibility we have towards animals.
2: Intensive farming has risen by a quarter since 2011 and over a billion animals are killed in slaughterhouses in the UK each year which is they're both very shocking statistics aren't they what impact is this having on the planet
3: um well you're absolutely right um it's having an enormous impact um but i, th- I think um before i go on to talk about that i think i'd also like to note that um when we talk about environmental issues and, and the environmental problem- effects of, of animal farming um it's often easy isn't it to, to kind of to render the, the animals invisible. You know, we're talking about really big numbers. You mentioned 1 billion. I think there's actually 1 billion chickens alone killed in in the UK um, after only a few short weeks of life. um, And 28 million cows, pigs and sheep killed each year, um, usually again before reaching adulthood. So I think when when we're talking about these animals, uh, you know, um, as as being products to be bought and sold, um, I just want to kind of note that that's absolutely not how, how I view them and not how we view them. Um, but having said that, um, yeah, you, you're right. They have, it's having enormous impact on the planet um, in a whole host of ways. Um, and so to understand this and why the impact is so big for, for animal farming as opposed to um, plant-based farming and, and plant-based diets, um, the first thing to understand is that the energy, most of the energy that farmed animals take in, um, that's not present in the, in the products. Um, that are bought and sold, so and that 's not present in those animal products it 's not present in the, uh, the meat or in the milk. Um, so they use this energy themselves, most of it, um, so there 's a huge and unavoidable inefficiency there when compared to eating plants directly, um, where you know instead of feeding animals animal feed that 's grown on arable, arable farmland um, and getting a fraction of the calories out, eating those plants directly. Um, reduces all of the inputs that go into that. Um, So, yeah, and then I think the second thing to understand is, um, and and this is the key to curtailing and reducing the extinction of species, as well as combating climate change, uh, at least the greenhouse gas impact of of farming, Um, and that is land use, the amount of land that it takes to to produce animal products. Um, So it's not just the direct emissions from farmed animals which they do um, produce in the, in the form of methane um, and in this form of nitrous oxide from, from the management of wastes and manures. Um, but also this huge missed opportunity of using land in a different way and freeing up enormous areas of land um, to help us combat climate change and, and kind of help nature recover. And um, So nearly 80% of all agricultural land globally is used for animal farming and for growing feed to, to farm animals, um, while animal products contribute around eighteen percent of global calories, so you can see that there's a huge inefficiency there. Um, so the question is how could this land be used um, in other ways to, to combat climate change? You know Much of it could be reforested and restored. Um, you could have habitat restoration product uh, projects on this land um, so yeah, I think that's, that's the, the, the basics of why animal farming is less efficient and, and then inherently more um, higher impact. The best study that is available, the best research available into this, um, which was done looking at the environmental impact of different products, help understand what the impact of different diets was. This was conducted by a team from the University of Oxford in 2018. Um, and this concluded that moving from current diets the diets that exclude animal products would reduce foods and land use by 76%, reduce its greenhouse gas emissions by half, and reduce its fresh water use by around 20%. And, and the, uh, it also found that a switch to plant based diets would significantly reduce pollution of water bodies and the use of pesticides and fertilizers. So, and the reason for that is is, is what I've just explained it's the kind of inherent inefficiency of trying to get. Um, food resources from animals
2: yeah
3: um so yeah that's 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 the kind of overview um and actually in terms of the land use issue um a university uh, of harvard team calculated that reforesting uh, areas that are currently used for uh, grazing animals at the moment and, and growing food for animals um in the uk this is um would be would draw down enough carbon out of the atmosphere to offset 16 years of man-made greenhouse gas emissions from our whole economy so you know it's not just about the impact we're having it's the the missed opportunity of using that land differently to tackle climate change
2: yeah it's incredible isn't it really i think we all have this view that you know in england it will you know britain it was always kind of um the rolling hills and the you know the little farms and you have this sort of like Idolized view but actually it wasn't was it you know it was it did used to be a lot more um you know a lot more woodland and forest
3: yeah yeah certainly when you go back into uh, into deeper history yeah it, it would have been um heavily he- heavily forested in in part and probably some uh, natural grassland areas as well with uh, large um you know herds of large grazing animals um but yeah nothing like uh, what it is today. Um, so yeah, I think it's important to understand that. Um, and some of the work we have been doing is around actually looking at um, the land use because we often hear from farmers in the UK who say, "Look, where my farm is, I'm a hill farmer. I, I you know raise animals on this land, um, and actually there's nothing else I can do with it. There's no other productive use of this land." So some of the work we have been doing recently is is to um, see if that's true and see what we can how we can advise um, and how we can uh, inform farmers and, and landowners um, about different options for managing land that um, are becoming more and more viable
2: yeah so this is the is this part of the grow green campaign
3: yeah absolutely so um yeah our, our grow green campaign that's the campaign that i lead on um, and that's looking at This productive side of things, so not looking at um, demand and the demand for um, animal products and vegan friendly products, um, but looking at actually the producers and and what are the incentives driving their decisions um, and how can we help them and encourage them to do things in a different way, in a way that's more environmentally sustainable and doesn't depend on the exploitation of animals. Um, So with the Grow Green campaign, we do that by, uh, we've published a series of reports um, about which cover a range of topics. The the importance of um, plant-based proteins is one, um, as well as um, what the options are, the alternatives to to grazing for some of these areas that aren't suitable for growing arable crops. Um, Another thing that we do as part of that campaign is uh, events and conferences. So we had a, a conference in 2019 um, where we brought together different people within the food system, people from DEFRA, um, that's the Department for Environment, um, and farmers and policymakers and a whole host of other people in the food system um, to kind of talk about this and kind of have a bit of an open forum for discussion, um, And as, as well as a host of other events that we've, that we've been putting on. Um so yeah
2: so what's what's the feedback like? I mean what's the reaction you know from farmers
3: well, it's it's really mixed, and um, I'm in contact through the grow Green campaign with a range of different farmers, um some who are um animal farmers and who are still animal farmers and and, and are not persuaded yet to uh, to move away from that, some who have you know, who are vegan and have just bought land on ex-animal farms that they want to grow things on. Um, like There's a project in Scotland um where a lady who's grown, who's bought a, a sheep croft and is is producing hazelnuts on it. Um, and, and some farmers who um, are ready for change uh, and are, you know, are undergoing that process already. Um, so, yeah, there's a whole host of different reactions we get. Um, some farmers who are Animal farmers understand the impact that, that animal farming is having on a large scale. And while they don't agree with us on the, the ethical dimensions of, of um, working with animals, I think more and more of them are realising that um, certainly the, the amounts of um, animal products that are, that are being produced and the amounts of animals in the system um, is just not sustainable.
2: So is there a financial um, sort of incentive for farmers to switch to plant-based agriculture
3: well the um the subsidy system in the uk has changed um is changing and a new one is due to be introduced um over the coming years and that'll that'll come in slowly that replaces the common agricultural policy that that was a kind of europe-wide um agricultural subsidy system um so the incentives are changing that that system incentivized um, all types of production so it, it would give farmers um, a payment per acre for um, for growing crops and that could be for growing animal feed um, and and also for having land that the animals are grazing on so so both forms of animal farming there, both intensive uh, which with a high requirement for feed um, and more kind of um, What's called extensive, where you've got um, where you rely on kind of grazing, um, they were both subsidized under the old system. Now we're moving in the UK to a system where farmers are paid for the environmental benefits that they provide. We're yet to see exactly how that's going to play out, um, what caveats there was going to be, what additional funding streams there's going to be. Um, but yeah, there, there are financial options for farmers. So um, the schemes, for example, that will pay landowners um, and land managers to uh, take carbon out of the atmosphere. So tree planting schemes and things like that, Um, peatland restoration projects. Um, So there are funding streams available for those things now. And what we hope that is that in the future, those funding streams will become um, more generous um, and that as support drops away for direct payments, just for farming, essentially, just for having land, Hopefully, the incentives will move in that direction.
2: Do you think Brexit is going to affect
3: things? Definitely. Um, Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of unanswered questions still about um, Brexit. And um, only recently, actually, we've got the Stop uh, Amendment 171 campaign that um, uh, ProVeg International are running alongside a whole host of other charities, including ourselves, to support that. yeah there's legislation that's that's um, in the EU that's asking to restrict further the way plant-based products can market themselves basically and it's from industry lobbying um, so obviously now we've moved out of the EU legislation like that won't affect us but um, there's a different legislative program in the UK It, it will also affect things like um, welfare standards um, and environmental standards so we've got this tension whereby uh, there's a lot of appetite for higher environmental and um, welfare standards in the UK. Um, but we're we're also potentially opening up new trade agreements with different countries. Um, so there's a question over whether that will undermine our standards here in the UK. Um, but I, I don't know the answer to those. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I guess we just need to uh, keep looking out for, you know, sort of policy changes and you know, these petitions that come, come round. Um, it's difficult, That's isn't it. it, to sort of you do feel a bit helpless sometimes. And...
3: Yeah, but, but, I mean, we, we do, you know, we've got a team that, um, that pays attention to these things. So, you know, if people want to check out what's happening at the moment, we've got blogs on our website. Um, we've also got a campaign section of our website, and that shows people what kind of current campaigns we're running. Um, there are sometimes there are opportunities for people to get involved in campaigns um you know if they don't want to feel helpless um and i also think there's a huge amount of um positive news as well so we, we have seen uh, interest in vegan issues taking hold and a, and a wider a much broader acceptance that um actually plant-based diets are going to be a more sustainable and ethical uh, route to go down in the future so we've seen that with the success of veganuary haven't we with um the, you know, exceeded five hundred thousand sign ups this year, and that was a uh that's been you know continued growth from the previous year and the previous year before that um so I think yeah there's more vegans in the u k now than there's ever been and um, we've 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 got a much more of a voice, and I think there's a wider understanding that um some sort of transition needs to take place It's also easier to be uh vegan now than it ever has been so um you know if people are listening to this who are not yet vegan um check out our website we're also partner of the beganuri campaign and um, so you can sign up to beganry there
2: so going back to factory farming the concern is that it's kind of the next pandemic waiting to happen isn't
3: it yeah i, I think um we've been very careful in, in talking about the link between um animal exploitation and, and and zoonotic diseases so these diseases that um are becoming more frequent now that are transferring from from animal populations to human populations, um, and that's you know I think we we absolutely need to understand. Um, it, it's, it's, it's added to the to the the pressure and the reasons for us now to understand those connections more. Um, uh, you're right in saying that there has been a history of these. This is definitely not the first zoonotic um, disease to have had a, an impact in the UK. You know we have we had the BSE um, and B C J D crisis, didn't we um, historically here. We've had uh, swine flu, bird flu, um, and a number of other zoonotic diseases that have emerged. So, yeah, I think while we need to be um, kind of really careful about attributing um, blame for these, for these things and just kind of get a, a much better understanding of, of how they arise, both in farmed animal systems um, and also in situations where um, free-living animals um, and kind of natural habitats are being encroached upon by other um, industrial processes. So, you know, like mining and hunting and all sorts of other things um, that bring people into contact with um, wildlife populations.
2: Yeah. An antibiotic um, resistance. I saw a news article the other day actually saying that that's becoming a bit of an issue.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, no, you're right. And, and I think, you know, public health is is definitely on um, people's minds at the moment mm. and and antibiotic resistance has been one of these things um, that we've known about for a very long time as an issue um, and and yeah you're right there's there's two causes of that one is obviously over prescription of, of antibiotics in, in medical settings um, and the other is is antibiotic use in animal farming systems now in the uk we've, we've actually got comparatively lower antibiotic use and in many other countries it's still an issue and it's still going to contribute to that antibiotic resistance. Um, But, you know, we're in a, we're part of a global food system. So um, we also have to think about the impact of, of countries where um, large amounts of antibiotics are being used. Um, Some of those countries um, we we could be in trade deals with very soon, like the USA, and like other countries. So um, yeah, it's antibiotics is another one of these global issues that connect us all um and, and and you're right it's um it's kind of a crisis waiting to happen
0: okay
2: um so if you could sort of wave a magic wand <laughs> and make the world amazing and you know all these problems go away what sort of one change would you make right now
3: um so i think i think well if, if i if i c- truly could make wave a magic wand it would be it would obviously just be to end all animal exploitation Um. And um, but I think thinking about more practical changes, you know, if I could kind of influence somebody's some decisions high up, um, I think one thing that I'd identify is um, a wholesale change to the way that farmers are supported with public money, um, you know, globally in the UK um, and, and around the world. Um, and I think that's, it's not, that's, that's subsidies, so direct subsidies to, to farmers. Um, it's about funding for you know marketing campaigns for for meat and dairy um, and it 's also about you know grant funding and stuff that's available. I think we, we spend a huge amount of public money on farming and land management and 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 kind of informing how that's going to progress um, and you know I think if we could you know well, the one change i would I would say is let 's spend that money more wisely um, and enable and facilitate farmers. Um, and land managers to do things differently. So, actually, if you just rebalance that, so that we weren't subsidising animal farming so much, um, and that we were subsidising uh, and investing in um, innovations um, and also traditional land management techniques that were sustainable and that are providing us, uh, you know, nutrition nutritionally uh, rich foods that we need. Okay,
2: fantastic. Thank you. So, you're hopeful for a, a brighter future.
3: Yeah, I I think I am on balance. I think there's there's a lot of things to be um, scared about, a lot of things to be worried about at the moment. Um, But um, I think we've seen, I think, some very rapid changes in the perceptions of uh, veganism and the understanding of these issues um, in the public. So, um, yeah, provided that continues, I think there is some reasons to be optimistic.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Tim. And we'll um, hopefully speak to you another time and, um, you know, keep abreast of what you're doing over at the Vegan Society.
3: Great. Well, thank you so much for having me.